knocked on the guy's door. The guy answers the door and says, who are you? He says, I'm, I'm Paulus, I'm the pastor of the Mennonite church. Hmm. And the guy's response, the, this man, I've interviewed him, his name is Yanni. Yanni's response was, oh, so your blood is permissible to me. Wow. What do you want? Hmm. Paulus said, may I have a cup of coffee, please? You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javet, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. Hello and welcome back to Our Urban Voices. I'm your host, Dr. Alphonse Javed. Today, I'm joined by Jonathan Bornman, a filmmaker, social anthropologist, and Mennonite. Our topic today focuses on peacemaking interfaith relations and Jesus's ministry of reconciliation. Jonathan has served in various capacities across the globe and has degrees in intercultural studies with a focus on Islam and uh, social anthropology. His expertise include nonviolence in Islam, Sufi Islam, missiology, immigration, and the Christian Muslim encounters. He currently heads the Christian Muslim Relation Team at Eastern Mennonite Missions, EMM. He also founded Dovetail Productions in 2021 and is working with renowned filmmakers to document nonviolent conflict resolution. Thanks for joining us today, Jonathan. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm honored to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, I'm doing really well. So before we get started, please tell us very briefly about your family. I believe family is so important because it helps us to uh, humanize us as parents and uh, family members and, and, and people. And so I think that would be a good place to connect with our audience. Well, great. I, I met my lovely wife on the first day of new student orientation at Goshen College, a small Christian college in Indiana. And we liked each other from the first uh, moment. Uh, we got married while we were still students. Uh, then we went and served in uh, West Africa with uh, Mennonite Central Committee doing water resource development. And our first child, a boy, was born while we were there. Um, and then we have two other children, a boy and a girl. So we have two boys and a girl. They're all grown up, left home. And I'm a grandpa. Wow. My, oldest, my oldest son has a, a two-year-old and is expecting another one. Uh, the other thing I should mention is we spent 10 years of our young parent life as uh, raising our children in Senegal in West Africa, where we were missionaries. So our children grew up with two languages three most of the time, and uh, different cultural milieu uh, made coming home to the United States a little hard for them, uh, but they got through it, and uh, we did too. It was hard for us too, uh, but we, we returned to the United States in 2009. Wow. To start off, can you tell us uh, more about the Christian Muslim relationship team? What do you guys do, actually? Yeah. Yeah, I could say a lot about that. I'll try to keep it brief. Sure. So the Eastern Mennonite Missions has a Christian Muslim relations team that was started by Dr. David Schenk, who's a quite prolific author on um, Christian Muslim relations and uh, 
uh, really a, what you might call a, a gentle witness and mm-hmm. Iran. I've known him for some time too. You know him, yes. Yeah. Sure. Um, David has since retired. I lead the uh, Christian Muslim Relations team and our mission is to equip Christians around the world for life-giving relationship with their Muslim neighbor mm-hmm. through dialogue, witness, peacemaking, and hospitality. So those four, you could think of those four as four quadrants in a circle and with Jesus as Lord and Savior at the center of that circle. And then in almost any interaction with with uh, Muslims or actually people of any other faith commitment, you're either going to be involved in one or more of these quadrants. You know, if you you might start with uh, hospitality, you're sharing coffee, you're meeting somebody, and they ask you a question about your faith, and then you move to uh, you're witnessing, you're telling them about your, why you follow Jesus. Uh, so we try to equip the church for that. We actually hope that we can create, we can help create little communities of Christ followers who are, are so committed to the way of Jesus that um, they, they have a vibrant witness to their, their, their Muslim neighbors. And, uh, you know, yeah. Jesus came, God in the flesh entered into our world, right? The incarnation. And so this kind of incarnational ministry that wherever I'm at, whoever I'm interacting with, they're also interacting with Jesus, Christ in me. Amen. So that's that's a, the kind of approach we take. Amen. So and, how, and, yeah, how has uh, Mennonite theology influenced your work on peacemaking? Well, all of this is uh, yeah. about peacemaking. When you talk about Jesus, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Whether uh, people know that, especially in this context, uh, if Muslim community understand that or not, that's uh, uh, a separate issue. But how has your has uh, uh, Mennonite uh, theology influenced your work on peacemaking? Yeah, it's influenced influenced me a lot. I I grew up Mennonite. I right. went to Mennonite schools. Uh, I can say though that, that there was a point when I sort of like drifted away from my Mennonite roots, and I sort of took a very general kind of Christian approach. And eventually I, I encountered some situations that really uh, shocked me. And um, I, I won't go into that right now, but how I've come back full circle to be very deeply committed to this Mennonite way. And, and let me just summarize very shortly. Mennonites sure. are one of the traditions who are part of this global Anabaptist movement. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually far more Mennonites and Anabaptists outside of the United States than inside the United States, especially in Africa. And uh, we trace our roots back to a time in the 1500s when some Catholic priests and nuns began reading the Bible with fresh, spirit-filled eyes and were disillusioned with what they were experiencing. Mm. This is in the time of the Reformation. And they discovered the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount as, as if they had never read it before. Hmm. And they said, what, is it, what would it look like to put this into practice? Right. right so they right. began preaching nonviolence. They began preaching and teaching. They rebaptized each other, which was considered an act of treason, because in the 1500s, where you're born, 
If you're born in a Christian city state, then you're a Christian. Um, and to make matters worse, when the, they're preaching nonviolence, and this particularly this one preacher named Michael Sattler, um, and he was preaching, no Christian may participate in the military. Hmm. What was happening in the geopolitical world? The Turks, the Ottoman Empire was trying to invade Europe and they were hmm. already at the door of Vienna while he's preaching, it's wrong for Christians to fight. He actually preached, we should go and preach the gospel to the Turks because they don't know the gospel. That was, that was his message. So again, that, that was considered treason and he was burned at the stake. And 10 days later, his wife was drowned. And so we live as Mennonites and Anabaptists, we live very much with that as our, our like base level reality that our ancestors, spiritual ancestors died for this witness that Jesus would not kill a Muslim. Jesus would preach to them. That's what Michael was preaching about. So, you know, that's 500 years ago. Wow. Wow. So it's not only theology, it's the history of the um, organization or the group itself that inspires mm -hmm. uh, your way of um, um, approaching Muslim ministry. So tell us about the upcoming film, Unexpected Hope. What is the story behind it and what, what story will it be mm. uh, telling the audience? Yeah, the, the, the documentary film is called Unexpected Peace colon in search of the common good okay all right and we're going to tell three stories that all all of them are about nonviolence. and i'm the host i do the interviews and i'm on a in in the film the 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 viewer follows me as i go on a quest asking how does nonviolence work in the real world um, not a theoretical quest, but, you know, are there actually people that put this into practice? Right. So we start with uh, an Amish community here, very close to where I live. Mm -hmm. um, 2006, the milkman who picks up the Amish people's milk uh, goes to the Amish school. He sends all the boys out of the school. He ties the girls up to the, to the blackboard. And he shoots 10 of them. He shoots all 10 girls and then he kills himself. Mm. Five of the girls lived, five died. Very extreme violent case. What happened is utterly astounding. That evening, the same day, one of the fathers of those girls and a bishop of the Amish church and another man went to the home of the shooter's wife and said, we really, we feel very concerned about you. We want you to know we've forgiven Charlie. That's the name of the shooter. Because he was a known person. Everybody knew him. We want you to know we've forgiven Charlie. And we're, we want to extend grace and love to you. We want to know how we can help you. Right, right, well, right. That story went international. Um, that story, I heard it while I was a missionary in Senegal. My friend came to me and said, did you hear about the Amish? So there's that story. The second story is in Harlem, New York, where I did my PhD research. There's a, there's a Senegalese Sufi community called the Mouridiya. And uh, if you've been to Little Senegal, you can eat in their restaurants on 116th Street. 
Um, they have a lived practice of nonviolence that they get from their historical roots in Africa and their founder, Sheikh Amadou Bamba. And it, it, it's lived out in New York, for example. I know a young guy who was shot on the street in front of the mosque on 116th Street. And I interviewed him, you know, what, how did you respond? His first word was, God allowed it to happen. I don't want to do anything about the people that shot me. Hmm. I interviewed all his community leaders. And they all said, no, God is the one who takes revenge. Hmm. And so we're going to tell that story. Yeah, yeah. And But the, the main story we want to tell, these are actually just preparatory stories. We wanted to make a on-ramp for a Christian viewer of the film. We wanted to make another on-ramp for a Muslim viewer for the film. Because in Indonesia, where our main story takes place, in 2002, a Christian pastor, a Mennonite, mm. an Indonesian Mennonite, went to the home of a militia commander of a violent militia group involved in terrorist activities, mm -hmm. knocked on the guy's door. The guy answers the door and says, who are you? He says, I'm, I'm Paulus. I'm the pastor of the Mennonite church. And the guy's response, the, this man, I've interviewed him, his name is Yanni. Yanni's response was, oh, so your blood is permissible to me. Wow. What do you want? Mm. Paulus said, may I have a cup of coffee, please? <laughs> it was Eid al-Fitri. And everybody in the whole city is going around greeting their neighbors and sharing coffee and talking. And so you can't turn down this request. So the militia commander invited him in. Lo and behold, they became friends. Today, 22, 20 years later, they're very good friends. Um, in December of last year, Yanni had a stroke. Who did he call to take him to the hospital? He called his Mennonite pastor friend, not his um, comrades in the militia. They have radically transformed their city from a place of violence to a place of relative peace. Not just by themselves, but their witness and their connection with all the other people and other militias and other churches and whatnot. Uh, it's, that's the story we're trying to tell. Okay. It's very real. It's very in the moment. Um, it's not over yet. They're still in the middle of it. Yeah. So what's one of those, uh, um, let me say this. What's uh, one of the most surprising things that you learned while you discovered these stories and while making the film? Can I give three? Sure. So with the Amish, I had this, like the light bulb went on for me. Hmm. Forgiveness is a core piece of nonviolence. You, you, if, you're, if your heart is full of revenge and anger, how are you going to uh, you, you're going to you're going to you're going to respond with violence, right. but with this, if you choose to forgive, then that takes that off the table. Right, right. That was a big realization for me. Maybe it's obvious to everybody, but as I did these interviews, I thought, man, this is really, really clear. You got to have forgiveness if you're going to participate in non, in any kind of nonviolent uh, response mm -hmm. to anything. 
with the Murids, my big aha in my research was these guys actually put this into practice. They're not just like talking. Mm-hmm. I, I know multiple examples of real life events in New York in the last 20 years where they actually chose nonviolence over violence. And then even more surprising is there's a whole West African history of pacifist Islam from this guy named Elaji Suwari Salim, Salim Suwari that uh, Dr. Lamin Sana wrote a lot about. And um, they have something important to tell the world and I appreciate it. And so it's really interesting for to be a person committed to following Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to recognize, well, there's people that are outside of my faith community who are also very sincerely committed to and interested in making peace. That was a big aha for me. Like, yeah. what, 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 how am I supposed to respond to that as a faithful disciple of Jesus? And does this make an opportunity for me to bear witness? And how? Um, I'll give you just one surprising thing. Right now, I got, I mean, in September, I went to a search and rescue training in mm-hmm. Indonesia mm-hmm. where half the search and rescue team are youth from the militia and half are youth from the Mennonite church. And this is a full on legitimate search and rescue training uh, conducted by, the, they're in a process of training. They've got all the right equipment being conducted by Indonesia's uh, search and rescue service. Um, it was, it was, it's just a phenomenal thing. It's just like a bright picture to look at the future and say, look how these young guys, their dads were, you know, would have be thought of themselves as enemies. And these guys are actually working together to help at earthquakes and, uh, tsunamis and, and things like that. That's that was awesome. a big surprise. Yeah. I will, I, I hope and pray that we see more and more of that kind of collaboration especially among uh, young people around the world where Muslims and minority uh, youth, which is in, in my case, will be Christians, yeah. uh, Christian youth can work together and they um, can help to remove that uh, um, old mindset. And I think that, that's a good, good uh, response. The, yeah. For all of us, I think there's nothing like, and I think that's why we put the word common good in our documentary title. There's nothing like you and me working together on something that's outside of us, some problem in our community we both need, we both care about, rather than you and me like back and forth, I believe this, you believe that. Uh, I think when we do something like the search and rescue team, we open a whole new dimension for how the conversation is going to happen. Yeah. And I think also part of that would be, so yes, it's a humanitarian effort, it's a human uh, peace is a human centric uh, approach, but also I think the young people are more uh, um, because of the media and access to, you know, TikTok and Twitter right. and all the other things. The world world has uh, become a, a big family, so yeah. the things yeah. are a bit different than those who were isolated. In isolation, of course, you're going to have your own mono ethnic or one sided um view of everything and now it it has opened up so in advancing uh, or rather in advocating peacemaking 
and uh, this ministry of reconciliation. What are some of the responses you receive when people hear about this type of ministry? Yeah. You know, one of the most common ones is, yeah, that's all nice, but what if somebody were attacking your family? What would you do? Right, correct. Well, the assumption behind that question is that a, the only possible response is a violent response. Mm -hmm. The assumption mm -hmm. behind that question is if I had enough violence, if I had enough force on my side, I could fix the problem. I could stop the danger. But if you analyze situations all over the world, you realize that actually is not what happens. A violent response almost always it provokes an, an, an even more violent response. Um, and also that question uh, shuts down all the possible options. Maybe, maybe a, uh, all that's needed in this situation would be a, a, a Holy Spirit-filled, kind word that would transform the situation make the person think of something different. Um, one radical response I, I heard, um, what, if, what if God actually wants you to be a martyr? I read the book of Hebrews. Um, who's, who, who's lauded in the book of Hebrews? All these martyrs of the faith. Um, what if an angel's going to appear in answer to your prayers? So, when we ask the question, what would happen if you do if someone were attacking your family? I can honestly say I don't know what I would do. Right. I want to hold all the options open. Okay. Maybe the best option is for me to stand between my family and, and the attacker. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But rather than assume that violence is the only response to, that could deal with the, the, the attacker, uh, I think that's where, where the, the thing goes wrong. That's the most common question. Another one is um, very often uh, people have said to me, yeah, uh, Jonathan, those Muslims, they're only responding that way because they're weak. There's not very many of them in Harlem. And so if they were strong, they would do something completely different. They're tricking you. I can just... I, no, I, I don't believe that. I, I, I know too many Muslim friends, both here in, in the United States and in Indonesia and in Africa, where that's, that's simply not, not, not the case. Are there people, of course, everywhere in the world, you have people who are trying to trick you and deceive you, of course. But it's not, it's, it's, I think it's a very unfair assumption. Yeah. Well, believe it or not, um, you know, if you have spoken to me some uh, 16, 17, 16 years ago, I would have said the same thing because um, that's how I saw everything. And as I matured, I also saw the change in um, Islam, too. Um, and, and people have changed. I think part of that is uh, more education has come to those countries and uh, more educated people are there so even islam is going through a reformation and all of this is uh, affecting the way they um execute different teachings within islam yeah, um, yeah. and even if they and they are trying to isolate the content that belong to um uh, you know early islam when mm -hmm. uh, it was a political movement and then uh, they are trying to see like okay well that was then now we are in a modern world 
and uh, how we're going to live Mm. and uh, sustain is no longer invasion. It's it's just uh, survival. And especially even in Islam, like Christianity and other religion, um, people are leaving religion. They are not interested in religion. Religion in general is not the highlight of communities. So I see that too being one of the reasons. So how do you see this work on peacemaking applying to the lives of Christians? Are these lessons for us as individual Christians or for congregations as a whole? Yeah. Yeah. I, so I think my, my whole approach to this is very much Every single person is created in the image of God. Amen. I think that has to be our starting point. Mm. And if I if I don't see the image of God in my Muslim neighbor or the person I'm encountering, how am I ever going to give a, a life-giving witness to that person? If I look at them as an enemy or somebody to conquer uh you know conquer with a good argument or what you know what i'm saying and i don't pay any attention to the humanity of the person in front of me right well that's that's a big loss for the kingdom because jesus always i mean jesus entered into a human body right and jesus looked at the people in front of him for who they were a person created by god and he spoke to their need, whatever their need was. But I, I think that's what I, I think this means for us as Christians, for the church. Um, we, have to, we have to look at the person in front of us as, as a real person created by God who has a life, who has meaning and value, someone I can actually learn from, and someone who who might possibly want to learn from me too. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, your question is, you know, what does it mean for the church? I, I just want, I, I want every person in the world to, to find out how life transforming it is to follow Jesus, mm-hmm. to be loved by Jesus, to, to be given real life and real freedom. I mean, I've experienced that. My own, my own story of conversion I want everyone, and I include Muslims in that. I want them to to have the same opportunity I've had. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how could Christians in urban American setting apply what you have uh, shared with us today about about peacemaking in their own daily lives or communities? I'll tell you about a church I know in Harlem called Infinity Mennonite Church. Hmm. Tiny little church. Um, mostly black Mennonites, few other people, other ethnic background. One of the coolest things they do is the men get together every, I think it's every Thursday morning, and they prayer walk in their neighborhood where their church is. And I did that with them one morning when I was up in the city for my, my PhD research. I wanted to see how these Christians were doing their ministry and I got to experience walking and praying and then stopping outside somebody's window on the third floor above and shouting up that person and the person hanging their head out to say, hey, I'm doing okay. And 
I think what I want to say is that peacemaking involves presence and it involves hospitality, both giving and receiving. So like actually being out in your community, actually being an active member of your community. Um, that's what I saw these men doing. And I, I think that's, I think, I feel like that actual real engagement is the starting point. Yeah. And I think that can expand to, it doesn't have to be um, Muslim ministry focused. It could be. This was not. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's was, what we need. Yeah. I like the was, example. This was their witness to their community, whoever's in it. Right. For Christian right. listeners uh, who are outside of the United States uh, that may be dealing with violence in their daily lives, what advice can you offer to them? Especially think about, um, you know, Open Door puts out every year that list of um, highly, highly uh, violent places. I mean, they give extreme persecution. And when you look at that list, every year I, we, we have in our church, uh, prayer for the persecuted church. When we go through this, it has not changed much. Uh, most of those countries, top ones are Muslim countries and Christians are persecuted. So it is a reality. Um, and and that, that's the background. So what's your response for that? So, you know, that would describe um, Indonesia 20 years ago. Um, that would describe, you know, even, even in the city where I did my interviews uh, in September, I interviewed at a church where uh, quite recently a Muslim militia group, not the one that is involved in our story, but another one, um, forced them to close their church building. Mm. And um, so I, I had the privilege of talking with this, these people. They've, they've been through this. Um, what's helped them was relationship with other Christians in the city. Um, finding community. Um, and, you know, they, they, they've suffered. I mean, I, one woman who was there talking with me was in the room when this group broke in and turned up the tables and chased everybody out and the children were frightened and her children are still traumatized by it. Even her, she was giving witness that Jesus loves these people. Even she was telling us about um, her ongoing prayer for these people, her commitment that the, the, the way of Jesus would always be to, to uh, love even her enemies. And um, so... I was quite challenged by that. I've never experienced what she experienced, but she was she was also she was she was recognizing how painful it had been and she was renewing her commitment to do follow the way of Jesus no matter what. And um, so, you know, it's very hard for a wealthy American like me to talk about how anybody in the persecuted church should should act. Um, that's not my place. Mm. But I know for sure mm. the way of jesus and the kinds of jesus responses that that uh, jesus would have us take is the right way I, I i also know it's very costly 
Uh, I interviewed once a guy from Iran who had experienced extreme persecution and fled for his life. Uh, he had been imprisoned, et cetera. Um, and he found Christ after he entered the West. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's very challenging. And we should definitely obey Jesus and pray for the persecuted church. Amen. So before we close out today's episode, is there anything else uh, you would like to add? Yeah. I think the most basic thing of Christian discipleship is to read your Bible every day. Mm-hmm. to pray like Jesus taught us to pray and to listen for the Holy Spirit and when he shows you something to do to obey um, I'm I'm on a journey to, to live that way um, it's actually way harder than you would think mm-hmm. Uh, but every day I do find that, that the Lord reveals something to me that I need to obey. Sometimes it's very small. And, um, uh, so yeah, I would just urge everyone read your Bible, pray, listen to what the Holy spirit might be saying, uh, cause he's always speaking and then obey. Um, and, and then I think the fruit of the spirit is going to overflow in our, in our lives. And Jonathan, if listeners wants to get in touch with you or find your film, what are the easiest ways? Yeah. Well, I'd like to give you uh, three website addresses. One is unexpectedpeace.com. You go to unexpectedpeace.com. You can uh, sign up to get updates about the film as it progresses and when it it comes out and how you can see it. Uh, If you go to emm peacemakers.org emmpeacemakers.org you can learn all about the ministry of christian muslim relations we have many many resources uh, that you can download in many languages uh, for free Uh, we've got a video series you can watch uh, all kinds of stuff and then if you want uh, to learn more think more about uh, dialogue witness peacemaking and hospitality Uh, I mentioned a circle with those as four quadrants. We have a website called uh, PCCI.team. It's Peacemakers Confessing Christ International. It's a network that uh, we have with peacemakers all over the world. Um, PCCI.team is really a teaching uh, video series. You go on the website and you you work your way through and you see videos of uh, me uh, and a whole bunch of other people that we've interviewed. Uh, Dr. David Shank. Uh, it's they're short, they're snappy, uh, and they're all about equipping you to to live into dialogue, witness, peacemaking, and hospitality. Great. Uh, Jonathan, that will also be included in the episode description. Um, and for the last thing, because we talk about heavy topics, it I would like to ask you to tell us a joke. Oh, dear. Tell us a joke. Man, I am not a good joke person. That's all right. You, you raise children. You've been a dad. <laughs> 
yeah, you got me there. I, I, um, what would I say? I don't know. Do, do you have any cultural joke? Because uh, um, there've been a few uh, folks from other countries and they tell uh, uh, cultural jokes. So those are always, uh, uh, you know. Well, um, I was once riding in a public uh, transport bus in Senegal and uh, there were some people ahead of me talking loudly that uh, negatively about me, assuming that I don't understand their language, which I do. I, I'm actually a very good Wolof speaker. So when we got to my bus stop, uh, uh, before we were getting close to my bus stop, I called out to the driver, hey, I need to be dropped off here. They <laughs> gasped. <laughs> they were like, oh, I, we didn't know you spoke in Wolof. <laughs> there you go. That's exactly what I mean. Those are cultural, very, uh, you know, cultural, uh, practical things that mm -hmm. happen. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. Again, that was uh, Jonathan Bornman. And thank you to all our listeners. We truly could not do this without you. If you learned something, have a topic suggestion, or would like to leave us feedback, drop us a note at oururbanvoices.com. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave an honest review wherever you listen to your podcast. Tune in next week for more honest discussions from Diverse Voices. You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.